Santa's dropping off way more than you expected this year. Thanks to Xfinity, the whole family can enjoy great coverage and fast, reliable internet speed up to gig, all at a great value. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. And you're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Bringing you the news behind the news, the story behind the story. Here to convince you that reality is usually scoffed at and illusion is usually king. But in the battle for the survival of this republic, it's going to be reality and not illusion that will determine the future. We're live on iHeartRadio, on demand on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. Follow me on Twitter at RightNowJimDawes. Or shoot me an email at rightnowjimdogs at gmail.com. Or you can call the van line and raise hell at 772-245-0750. That's 772-245-0750. It must be hell being a Democrat. Constantly having to scan the horizon for any bit of good news... So you and your mouthpieces in the media can try to trash it and discredit it and uh, apply just as much uh, uh, misery and hardship to this nation as you possibly can in hopes that uh, the, the citizens will throw up their hands and vote for old Joe Biden. <laughs> Joe Biden's going to solve our problems. He was in Washington for 47 years, and now... He's telling us he's got the answers if we will only elect him. But the latest bit of good news uh, to come out of the administration is Operation Warp Speed. Yesterday, I think it was Pfizer, uh, started phase three clinical trials on a huge um, sample group. I think it's about 30,000. And uh, under this Operation Warp Speed, what they're doing is they're carrying on several phases of the Uh, bringing the vaccine to market at the same time so that if and when one of these vaccines passes the the trial stage, it'll be ready to go into production and distribution. They uh, they began testing yesterday, and the president announced it from uh, the White House. And we're here actually today to discuss the exciting progress that we've achieved under the Operation Warp Speed our historic initiative to develop, test, manufacture, and deliver a vaccine in record time. And that's what it is, in record time. Likewise, therapeutically, we are very, very advanced. You're hearing about it, and you'll be hearing about it a lot more in the next two weeks. We will achieve a victory over the virus by unleashing America's scientific genius, which is what it is. I'm therefore proud to announce that this morning, the... Moderna vaccine has officially entered phase three already. Moderna. And that's phase three clinical trials, the final stage before approval. There's never been anything like this in terms of speed, nothing even close. A second vaccine is likely to enter phase three in a matter of days. Under Operation Warp Speed, we've shaved years off of the time that it takes to develop a vaccine, in some cases, many years. Now, this is where Donald Trump excels. 
you could you can argue with his public relations skills and whether or not uh, you know constantly keeping the democrats in a state of uh, hysteria is productive but when executive skills count and he's having to make decisions and come up with ideas on how to cut through government uh, bureaucratic red tape that's where he really excels so just in time for the announcement of this good news, and I know there's a lot of members of this audience that uh, are not going to take the vaccine and uh, think that the whole thing's a scam. I'm, you know, I'm inclined to agree that uh, a vaccine is not necessary. Most certainly not until you know whether or not you have developed antibodies naturally, because many, many, many people uh, have never been tested that, in fact, have uh, been infected and developed antibodies. But I'm just talking about a strictly political uh, exercise here. Uh, A lot of people really want this vaccine, and they think it will be the silver bullet to allow this economy to to get back to work. And just in time for this good news, of course, Joe Biden, having not come up with a, a single new idea on, you know, how to combat this virus, has come out and uh, tried to uh, to discredit the warp speed program. He, of course, starts with um, you know some qualifying statements. He says it's great news that scientists are making progress in the surf search for a safe and effective vaccine. We all hope the next phases of clinical trials will yield positive results. But the development of a new vaccine requires dedication to science, coordination, transparency, and truth. And we have a president who stands for none of these things. (laughs) So he goes on to say, Operation Warp Speed, the president should commit to three principles of integrity. The first is to provide emergency authorizations, um, not to provide emergency authorizations prematurely and not to hype treatments or vaccines, overstate the results or undermine confidence in the scientific findings. He also called for the clinical data for any vaccine uh, the FDA does approve to be made available to the public for an independent expert review by his his, uh, left-wing experts that I'm sure will cast doubt on the on the vaccine safety and (laughs) efficacy. He also said that uh, before any license is final on a new vaccine, that senior career scientists and public health experts should testify before Congress. That's, of course, so you get the uh, left-wing idiots in the House of Representatives an opportunity to uh, to try to discredit it. What they're going to do, you know, every vaccine... Even the most safe and effective ones do have uh, side effects on a, uh, a small portion of the population. They will scan the horizon for any possible side effect, no matter how minor. And they'll magnify that to the point where, you know, th- th- they'll say that the president's killing people. Dr. Hahn, the uh, the head of the FDA, uh, backed up the president at yesterday's news conference. Must maintain the confidence of the American people in the scientific process. 
So uh, I think it's important to understand that the reduction in time with respect to the development has a couple of different uh, aspects to it. One is, and one thing that's been done during this time, is that the trials have been compressed. Um, for example, normal situation, you do phase one, wait some time, maybe as much as six months to a year, phase two, then phase three, and you'd wait for the data each time after that and then uh, apply for the next one. In this situation, these trials have been compressed, so phase one and phase two could be done together. Um, you generate the appropriate information, and FDA is doing what's called a real-time review. We're not just waiting for the end of the trial. We're reviewing in real time so that we can look at the data in real time and then come to a quicker decision uh, at the end of the trial. We've done that with a lot of medical products during COVID-19, and it's given us a leg up in terms of speed. So the president looked at this process that they were doing at the FDA and, uh, and saw all of the wasted time and wasted effort. Now, I'm sure that uh, the, the warp speed process is more expensive because if one of the trials fails while one of, or one of the phases fails while one of the other phases has, is already commenced, then you know that, that extra phase is, uh, is worthless and has cost a lot of money. <laughs> oh, Nora O'Donnell, I think that's ABC, called on a, a former head of the National Institutes of Health name is Dr. Francis Collin in hopes that he would uh, say something negative, but um, it didn't come out the way she planned. Is the vaccine development ahead of schedule, as the president has said? I've been at NIH for 27 years. I have never seen anything come together this way as we have tried to do and are now doing uh, for the development of vaccines. And the government, by providing additional resources, has also made it possible now to plan manufacturing of vaccine doses even before you know if the vaccine is going to work. But I do want to say, Nora, when people hear that warp speed term, maybe it makes them a little nervous, like, wait a minute, are they being a little bit too casual here about safety? No, we are not being casual as far as the safety and the effectiveness will not be compromised. You could you could see that Nora O'Donnell was crestfallen. Uh, she, he gave her hope when he said that uh, warp speed was making people uncomfortable. And then when he said, uh, no, they're not compromising safety or efficacy, um, she looked a bit crestfallen. But you can fully expect that if if Trump and, and this uh, warp speed program are successful in expediting a, a vaccine, that the, the Democrats and their mouthpieces in the media will do the same thing to it that they did to hydroxychloroquine. They will immediately begin a campaign to discredit the vaccine. We'll see horror stories over any side effect, no matter how minor, because for for the Democrats, this is all politics. They don't care if this economy crashes. As a matter of fact, they're uh, they're gleeful about it because it plays into their plans to make people more dependent on government. They don't care if uh, Democrat cities are wrecked with just unbelievable rates of crime and these riots in the street, if they think it will benefit them politically. They drug this nation through a three-year-long Russiagate hoax in which they tried to claim that an elected president of the United States conspired with a foreign power. There is no line that they will not cross in order to try to get Donald Trump out of office. And why? Well, you know why. Because he's overturning their gravy train. They have um, 
constructed a very effective way to hold on to power and reap the rewards for themselves, their families, and, and their, uh, their cronies. And one of the examples of that is this, this treatment uh, of hydroxychloroquine. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take a break, and then we're going to come back and talk about what's going on. Yesterday, they had a, a meeting of many prominent doctors in Washington to talk about how the media has wrongly discredited hydroxychloroquine when, in fact, it's a very effective treatment for the virus. Stick with us. We'll be right back. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So yesterday, a group of about 200 doctors, medical doctors, convened in Washington, D.C. to talk about hydroxychloroquine and how we are missing this uh, uh, obvious and effective treatment to this virus. And uh, and they've they put out videos on social media, on uh, on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and, uh, and they were v- making very effective arguments. All of these people have treated hundreds of China virus patients, and they have seen firsthand, they have used hydroxychloroquine, that in fact it works. It, it is the, you know, usually when they uh, test these things and determine, you know, what their e- e- efficacy, I'm having trouble with that word, they, um, they do these studies because it's a new drug and they don't, they don't want to, uh, you know, give a drug to somebody that won't be effective or won't or will have uh, side effects. But in this case, he got a 65-year-old uh, drug, hydroxychloroquine, that um, has been used for malaria and uh, what, and other viruses as well as, well, I guess malaria is a bacteria. No, malaria is a virus. Uh, as well as other medical conditions, including lupus, and, uh, and it's safe. In many countries, it's actually sold over the counter. It doesn't require a prescription. If you've ever been in the military and traveled to any of the tropical climes, you have taken hydroxychloroquine. The, uh, the amount of side effects of hydroxychloroquine only affects people with uh, severe heart disease and, I think, diabetes. And even then, it can be managed. But, um, but they held this press conference, and it was getting huge amounts of attention and have attention. It had over 17 million views during a, just an eight hour period that it was hosted on Facebook. And at any one time there was 185,000 people looking at it at the same time. And so of course the tech masters who are all behind, you know, the world health organization and the Democrat party uh, swung into action and uh, started blocking the videos coming out of this conference on Facebook and 
uh, shortly thereafter on YouTube and Twitter as well. It's really unbelievable. They, they tell us, listen to the science, listen to the science, listen to the doctors. Oh, what? don't listen to those doctors. Don't listen to the doctors that disagree with us. So um, Facebook spokesperson said, we've removed this video for sharing false information about cures and treatment. They ruled it false information. Well, you know, those people over at, uh, at Facebook are far wiser than the doctors that have actually been treating Chinese virus patients. This decision, it's, it's kind of sickening. Uh, it, it makes you realize just how far we have gone down this Orwellian rabbit hole. So since you can't view many of these videos online any longer, if you search for them on Google, you won't find them. I'm going to play you a couple right now. The first is from a, a an immigrant doctor. She sounds Nigerian to me, maybe, maybe Haitian, but um, she is very effective in her testimony uh, on the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine. Uh, they pulled it down. I was going to to go to a place that I had found it online and it has already been pulled down. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> you got to move fast. So here is a doctor named J- uh, James Toronto on the motivation behind the, the campaign against hydroxychloroquine. Let's see if this one is still here. To that, but what I'm going to do today is present a, a thesis of an alternative narrative one whereby a, a large pharmaceutical corporation, uh, in this instance Gilead, has a tremendous financial incentive for hydroxychloroquine to fail and has a network that really infiltrates just about every aspect of our domestic healthcare system and even abroad to potentially enactuate uh, inf- uh, this. Um, Let's go ahead and dive in when the president first mentioned hydroxychloroquine. So this was in March, on March 19th. Um, and when he first mentioned hydroxychloroquine, he actually called two different drugs a game changer at that time. He actually called both hydroxychloroquine and remdesivir a game changer for this pandemic. Now, at that time, there was really only in vitro evidence that remdesivir was uh, effective. Test okay? tube. This came from a study that was published in Cell Research, which is part of Nature Journal, that showed that uh, remdesivir was effective in in vitro and primate cells against the SARS coronavirus type 2. That same article also said that chloroquine was effective in those primate cells as well. If you recall from when the president gave that press conference, there wasn't just in vitro evidence, though, of hydroxychloroquine's efficacy. There was also clinical evidence. There was a study that was just published in the south of France. It was a small study, but what it, it was a case control study comparing patients who received hydroxychloroquine plus or minus azithromycin with patients who did not. And it showed a significant clinical benefit where the viral load was reduced in the patients who received hydroxychloroquine. Yet, despite there being more evidence in favor of hydroxychloroquine than there was for remdesivir at the time, the mainstream media decided to attack hydroxychloroquine, and as we've been saying all day, a 65-year-old medication on the WHO's list as a safe, essential medication. Meanwhile, giving a, a failed hepatitis C drug with a fairly toxic profile and with side effects that we don't even fully understand or know yet, almost a complete pass. So why is that? 
What I believe is I think that the media has really be- amplified a message, the, the message that hydroxychloroquine is harmful or dangerous. But I think the actual content that the media is amplifying is coming from uh, various organizations within our healthcare system. And this includes the World Health Organization, as Dr. Barber talked about earlier, even medical journals, uh, as well as government officials. Um, now, for this uh, kind of argument to make sense that uh, the Gilead is really behind... Uh, the- well, I'll, I'll just take over from there. I, I talk a little faster than he does and get the information to you. The reason behind the, dis- the campaign to discredit hydroxychloroquine is dollars. I think um, hydroxychloroquine is uh, about a dollar a pill. Remdesivir, hey, I pronounced it right, is $1,000 a pill and can only be administered in a hospital setting. So there's huge amounts of money on the line for discrediting hydroxychloroquine. And I can tell you another thing. Uh, Zinc is an effective treatment for viruses regardless, even on its own. Uh, if, if you ever think that you're getting a, a cold or a flu and it happens to be a viral cold or flu, you immediately start taking zinc lozenges because it keeps the virus from replicating and gives your immune system a fighting chance to uh, before it's overwhelmed with a viral load. But, you know, you, you say, well, Jim, well, why would the media and the Democrats go on this jihad against hydroxychloroquine because it's big pharma. Well, guess who buys a huge amount of advertising on these network TV, um, or these TV networks and these cable channels, big pharma. And they know that if, you know, you pump a lot of money into big pharma for a, uh, a, a cure for this, that they're going to get a big chunk of that. And the Democrats as well have sold out to big pharma and they're going to get, huge amounts of campaign cash and jobs for their cronies. You know, it was only yesterday that a, a, a very prominent Yale epidemiologist uh, came out and, and said that hydroxychloroquine works, that the, the studies are conclusive now, that it, it in fact works. His name was Reich, I believe it was. And now I wish, I wish I could find that clip to that, uh, that immigrant doctor because it was very effective, but they're pulling them down as fast as you can access them. Did you see the story about the uh, black Trump supporter in Milwaukee, Wisconsin that was murdered? If, if this had been any other political assassination. Oh, come on now. <laughs> Sorry about that. But if this had been any other political assassination, if, uh, if, a right winger had killed, you know, um, a, a strong supporter of Bernie Sanders shot him dead in the streets. Um, it would be nonstop news. Let me see if I can pull this up. So this story uh, came right out of BET black entertainment television. Wow. Okay, here we go. His name is Bernal Trammell. He's a, a black Donald Trump supporter in Milwaukee. He was shot and killed last Thursday. He's 60 years old, gunned down in a drive-by shooting. 
he's a very prominent community figure in Chicago or in uh, Milwaukee. And, uh, he had been a outspoken Trump supporter. Um, he's got a, a publication and uh, a storefront there in, in one of the black neighborhoods. Uh, the storefront is plastered with uh, pro Donald Trump signage. And he regularly, uh, goes out on the street to try to convert people to support Donald Trump. They've got a, um, a photograph of a suspect now. It's being circulated on social media, but we still have not seen it. But if you uh, if you go on to the network newscasts or any of the pages of the New York Times or Washington Post or uh, CNN or MSNBC, you'll see no coverage of this guy because he is not their kind of black. If you want support from the Democrats and their mouthpieces of the media, you got to stay down on the plantation. Bernal Trammell refused to do that. Paid for it with his life. I was surprised to see the coverage from BET, though. Well, that takes us. Uh, we've got to run out to a break. Stick with us. We'll be right back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. This episode is sponsored by schwanns.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm. Good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. With the increasing pace of globalism, governing elites have ignored the will of their people and pushed disgruntled voters into the arms of nationalist and populist parties and politicians, including, but not limited to, Donald Trump. Voters across the globe have increasingly voted for nationalist, populist politicians over the last decade, but they've been met with determined resistance from entrenched multinational corporations and governments. To discuss this, we're joined now by Ryan James Gerdeski, co-author along with Harlan Hill of the new book, They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created the National Populist Revolution. You can get the book now on Amazon. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, I, I guess I'll just start by asking you to give us a broad overview of where we're at in these uh, populist and nationalist movements, both in the U.S. and Europe, and the globalist yeah, well, opposition to it. Who's winning? Well, that's it's a great question. It's actually we we wrote this book because it's larger than just America and Europe, which is what people really seem to miss over our conversations. Um, 
yes, there's a lot of national populist parties in Europe and obviously in America some, um, but it's all over the world. It's in Africa. We talk about Angola, it's in Israel and India and Australia and Chile and Colombia. And I, we wrote the book really to sit there and emphasize the people, especially to um, Trump supporters that who are told by the media constantly that the world hates them and hates their opinions, that actually many countries in the world share their opinions and share their worldview when it comes to things like, should we have bo- defined borders? Should we have national sovereignty? Should we have an economy that focuses on the working class? Should we have a foreign policy that doesn't invade the entire world and then, you know, invite millions of refugees in our national borders. Um, these are conversations that the entire world is having, having, but you would never know by reading the media and watching the media, as opposed to where are, are we as far as, you know, who's winning or who's losing. It's hard to sit there and say because it's such a wide-ranging global, you know, scale. In some countries, like in India, for example, Modi and his political party have just dominated. They are the they have a supermajority in, 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 in India's legislature, and they have the presidency. In Poland, um, uh, the the Law and Justice Party, Duda is the president's name. He just won a very tightly contested re-election, the first president to win two consecutive elections in a row in since the end of the Cold War in Poland. Um, and then, obviously, our own election in the United States, which is coming up. Polls show Donald Trump is down, but, you know, you never know what ends up happening. Polls have been wrong in the past, and um, and we'll see what, what goes on. But on a global scale, it's very resurgent um, throughout the entire world, um, and it's a trend that is not dying down. It's going up, and we're going to see in the next year or two alone, you're going to see elections in Italy and France and Sweden and Finland. Um, and those elections are going to sit there, and I see, I think, are going to have some national populist victories across the entire um, con- continent of Europe. You know, there's really no sign that the globalists uh, are inclined at all to uh, to give any quarter to nations' natural desire for their own culture and their own borders and for for their people and the well-being of, of their country. And in this country, we've seen this just fevered resistance to Donald Trump and his America first agenda. And we've been dragged through one contrived hoax in an attempt to unseat him after another by Washington's power structure. Do you think that this, uh, these riots and these virus, uh, I'm not talking about the origin of the virus, but the weaponization of it are, uh, sort of the revenge of the global elites well, I mean, obviously, I don't think the global elites created the virus at all. No, I don't either. I, you know, I don't I, either, but they sure right. seem to have weaponized it. Well, you know, here's my here's my thing is that when it comes to the virus, the coronavirus, is that, I mean, it's it's easy now to sit there and make statements. I mean, the media is making a lot of statements right now that I think, you know, with the with situations, especially with wearing masks, they're like, why do we wear masks in February? Well, in February, the CDC was telling us don't wear masks. I mean, Democratic politicians were saying don't wear masks all the way to March and April. So um, it's very easy to sit there and say in hindsight now what we should have done. But I think if you look back in January and February of, of earlier this year and you saw what was happening in China and so what was happening in Italy, I don't blame any leader in any state or any part of this country or the president for overreacting because it was very scary. We had no idea. You know, you you were seeing thousands of deaths throughout Italy, and you were seeing it coming to New York, especially where I'm from and where I live, and just it was killing people in mass in in, in my city. Um, and I don't 
I don't, I don't sit there and say like, oh, you know, what they should have done because at the time it was very scary. And you have to overprotect um, your people. That being said, what I do blame our politicians for, and what I do have a problem with them for, is the fact that this would have been the perfect time to unveil a larger national platform and to lay out a national vision. This is a situation that populist nationals could have dealt with in a much better way had we had a larger stake in the government, had we had a larger impact in Congress, or had we had a larger voice in the president's administration. For instance, you know, uh, we've talked about bringing home supply chains from India, or from China rather, for 25 years. This is the perfect time where he could have sat there and doubled down. As of as of this as of taping this today on Tuesday, I still don't think he signed Peter Navarro's executive order to bring home supply chains, and he could have coupled that with large infrastructure spending because. And what many people don't realize is the reason manufacturing jobs inside the Midwest and states that rewarded Trump with the presidency, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Minnesota, even, and parts of southern Illinois and Indiana, the reason that manufacturing still is not going back to those areas, even though they have risen throughout the entire country, most manufacturing has gone to California, Texas, Arizona, and Nevada because of the infrastructure. Our infrastructure in the Midwest is so dilapidated. It is so backwards. If you were to drive through Akron, Ohio, you would have thought that we lost the war. That is how bad it is right now. The Rust Belt. A large, or the Rust, it is. It's truly so far behind. Amazon wanted to come and build a second headquarters in Columbia, and they just couldn't. They were Columbus, oh, sorry, Columbia, Columbus, Ohio. And they just couldn't. They said it's so bad the infrastructure is just in most many parts of the rural areas there's no internet access there's no broadband it is it is beyond behind the times it's a shame when you you consider all of the prosperity jobs and uh and tax base that was offshored and created a uh, a global and economic military superpower out of a communist dictatorship that could have been used right here at home to to improve our country i mean China took lifted 350 million of its own people out of poverty in a matter of 25 years. We have put we have amassed a humongous sum of wealth inside Silicon Valley and inside the elect, uh, the uh, the, um, the Excel corridor of, between New York and Washington. However, the wealth has not trickled down into the middle class and into the working class of these regions. This would have been a prime time using the cap- political capital of the coronavirus. One. I know Republicans don't like spending money, but it is an investment. It is not throwing bad, good money at bad projects. This is an investment, and it could have been coupled with bringing home supply chains directly into those areas. Don't let the free markets just decide wherever they're going to go. Sit there and employ it and use the power of the government to make people who have been on the losing side of free trade and on China for 30 years, let them finally win. Save a dying town. That would have been so, so, so huge, and it would have been so great, and it just didn't happen, and that's one of my problems. Another one of my problems, we were conservatives have complaining about education for 40 years. Our public school system indoctrinates children to hate their country. We've been beating a drum on this, and what is the first thing every conservative is saying? Open up the schools. Open up the schools. No, I, I'm sorry. That can't be our solution. Our solution is 
you know, we spend an average of $15,000 per pupil in this country. Return the funds to the parents and let the parents decide how they're going to educate their child. Well, the teachers unions have really shown their ass in in all of this uh, by, you know, demanding uh, things that have nothing to do with education in order to return to work, including defunding the police and banning charter and private schools and and all things that just exposes them of not having the interests of the children at heart. And listen, I understand a working class mother or working class father saying, I can't afford childcare for my child. I completely understand that. And I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not saying that they should be ideologues as they close the school down. You have to have a job, you have to have a job. But if you're a mother of two to three children, and like in New York City, for example, we send $25,000 per pupil. Return that money to that parent. She wouldn't have to go to work and she could sit there and be a full-time educator for her child. Return the money to an average person in this country and they would make thirty, forty-five, you know, $60,000, whatever the case may be, and let them decide how to educate their child. Even more insane than just that, in parts of our country, um, homeschooling co-op boards are illegal. Co-ops, sorry, not co-op boards. Co-ops are illegal. Homeschooling co-ops. So if there's a retired math teacher who lives in your block or your, you know, your area, and she could teach five families' children's math. She, in some areas, is not legally allowed to. This is insane. This is what we should be having a conversation. Well, I think it is going. To, I think it's going to push it in that direction because uh, the, the parents feel betrayed by these uh, public right, school and, unions and, and, and rightfully, and rightfully, so. rightfully and, so. And they, if, and, if instead of the money going to these, uh, these schools and these school boards, if they went directly to the parent and allowed them to make the decisions about the education of their own children, that would be a relatively streamlined way to, uh, to, to, uh, eat, put competition into the education system and give parents more control. This or this. And, by, and I'm not, and I'm not, but I'm not, I'm, I don't want, I don't want to confuse any of your listeners. I, I'm not demeaning a teacher because I, teachers, most, 95% of teachers are not ideological. They're not. My wife's like, a teacher and she cannot yeah, believe what goes on in the public schools. Uh, the, right. the, the, the same thing with, really uh, with the uh, elected officials refusing to uh, support their police officers and losing complete control of their cities is what has been going on in the school systems for a couple of decades. The, the uh, administrators no longer support the teachers in the classroom, and they cannot longer maintain discipline. It has been a total breakdown in the public schools. Right, it is. It is the administrators. It's you know a handful of activist teachers, and it's a lot of times the principals and the superintendents who just who are pushing ideological things. So I don't, and I'm not blaming individual teachers because they do like the Lord's work each and every day. But this is I, my, you know, my roommate's a teacher for for special needs children. I understand the immense hard work they're doing. However, if they're being told you cannot go to work and your kids cannot go to work for some reason, education has become more about adults who work in the industry than the children who have to learn, sit there and learn. So I think that, but this is a moment that the coronavirus could have been used to sit there and and actually change things and it still can we just need one governor one mayor to sit there and stand up and say we're not doing this anymore right we just need one of them and this is not a job of the president this is a job of a governor or or a mayor um president doesn't control our local education but anyway never nonetheless this is this is incredibly incredibly important time so you know Democrats and progressives and globalists have used 
times of crisis to advance their agenda. When, when it came to George W. Bush after 9-11, when it came after the Great Depression with FDR, when it came after the global financial crisis with Barack Obama, they've used the leverage of crisis to sit there and gain um, a, a, an even bigger foothold for whatever their political beliefs are. And usually it's the same exact thing regardless of political party. Um, and I think that that is something that's really missing right now from the entire coronavirus conversation. I was in Washington, D.C. just a few weeks ago, and I was speaking to a few two congressmen. And I said to them, the biggest problem Republicans, I'm a Republican, but the biggest problem Republicans have in general is that they have no vision. And I said, if you, if every member of Congress was just like you, tell me what would our country look like in 10 years? And I don't want to hear the words freedom, liberty, or free market. Because most people don't understand what those words mean. They mean anything to anybody. I want to hear what would it be like for a working class person? What would it be like for a single mother? What would it be like for someone who, as of today, does not have $1,000 in their bank account? I need you to describe how their life would be better to me. And if you can't do that to me one-on-one, you're not being able to do it to a nation of voters. Well, I just think the Republicans in Congress are shell-shocked. You know, they've constantly got this... uh, this globalist media um, hammering on them. They're always in a defensive crouch and they never go on offense. But I have been heartened to see uh, more and more people getting behind the movement to decouple our economy from China. It was foolish to ever uh, put ourselves in that position. So, you know, I I guess you want to make, you know, see silver linings. If, uh, if this virus uh, wakes people up and, and to the insanity of uh, making our economy dependent on a communist dictatorship, then it won't all be bad. Yeah, I spoke to a congressman yesterday who told me, <laughs> this is crazy, the congressman does not have broadband in his home, in his house, and he lives in a rural district. And I just said, this is, this is insane. How is a company ever going to come to your region and build something when there's no internet? Um, and I went back to right to what I was talking about. I said, you know, Right now, every Republican congressman should be getting together and building and, and going to the regions of their district that are the most dilapidated and saying for infrastructure, because this is the time where we need to sit there and actually spend. Also, it would cause a reaction in all the other industries. It would, write, it would create demand in other industries that would help start restarting the economy again. So, I mean, that's my feeling on the coronavirus. When it comes to the riot, when it comes to the riots, I mean, there's two problems. We have one, the children of the elite, the children of the wealthy, like those in Antifa right now, who are really trying to upend our entire way of life um, in the name of anti-racism. And then we have the a lot of poor, mostly black and brown members of society who for generations we have handed them a terrible, terrible hand with our current welfare system and our current education system, and our politicians and our media talk down to them. It is the soft bigotry of low expectations saying, oh, well, you need you know, the hand of, of government to sit there and give you any respectable lifestyle. Rather than there's, I mean, and I'm not saying we should have no welfare and we should have no help from anybody ever. But what I am saying is there's two approaches to doing it. There's those that say you could use the power of, of government match with, you know, civil, civil, civic, uh, civic organizations to um, make you a member of it, to give you a piece of the pie. And then there's those who sit there and say, well, we'll just hand you the pie. I understand, you know, the need of government, especially local governments where you have the most control to sit there and say, we're going to do something for 
you know, people who make under $20,000 a year or people who just have a bad case, people who get cancer and, and they can't work. You know, the, the people who re- I believe that we should have a, a national populist believe we should have a floor of respectability. You're an American. You should never fall into such desolation. Yeah, but if we're ever, if like we're ever going to pull off a program like that, first and foremost, we've got to get these, these, uh, generations to buy into, uh, America and the American system, and they've been so miseducated, and they've been infected with this virus of victimhood. And I can, I can tell you, haven't seen that yeah. firsthand. That is a debilitating virus that's very hard to break people of. Um, and they're well, they're, they're running out in the streets and styling themselves as revolutionaries. I don't know how we go about recovering this generation. I'm hoping that this is just a, you know, a, a, a small minority. But I know that uh, that we have miseducated two generations in this country to hate America and see it as first and foremost, an oppressive, um, you know, system of government. Well, what I think always is that our problem is we don't teach enough history. History when I was being brought up, I'm 33 years old was really, you know, we focused on since America's founding. What we really should have focused on is what the world before America, we should talk about the brutality of the world, how terrible things are. We should have been talking about what average life is like for someone in France and in, in, during the French Revolution or in, or in Russia during the fall of the Soviet Union. You know, life really, we should have taught a more Hobbesian worldview uh, of, of, of history. Until and relatively recent in history, are. it was the law of the jungle. It was survival for most people. And, and this generation does not understand that it was only after, um, you know, the free market system and, and individual liberties, uh, came to the fore, were we able to start granting, uh, or considering human rights and, and such niceties. And on that, on that, our record is damn good. We've made steady progress. Right. Well, the thing is, is that people have begun to believe that prosperity is the de facto rather than what is the earned, exactly. um, what is earned over many, many, many generations. And there is obviously things that I don't believe that the, uh, the, the, the Antifa members who are burning down buildings and who are trying to, uh, you know, radically socialize the United States, they are a very, very, very small fragment of our country. Well, I hope you're right about that. Hey, Ryan, we got to run out to a I, break. Can you hold on through it? I'd, I'd like to take you up on that sure. on the other side. Stick with us. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Whether you're moving in together for the first time. This can be your closet. Or you're a new parent to a little fur baby. Viva Paper Towels can help you maintain a clean home. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. So they clean like cloth, helping you pick up after your new pet in your new home. For an exceptional cloth-like clean, use Viva Towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more and start fresh with a clean feeling of home. We're talking with Ryan Gerdowski, co-author, along with Harlan Hill, of the new book, They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created the National Populist Revolution. It's available now on Amazon. So, 
Ryan, as we went out, we were talking about uh, these these uh, riots in the streets. You know, I'm I'm thinking that that is going to have a massive blowback on the Democrat Party because their candidate hasn't been able to stir himself to condemn the violence against the very government that he proposes to lead. So how do you see this playing out in the months leading up to the election? Well, you know, what I think the biggest indicator of where our country is right now is that four and a half million Americans in the last three months decided to become first time gun owners. That is a tremendous, that is, that, that has never happened in the history of our country where four and a half million people in a matter of a hundred days decided to bring a firearm into their home for the very first time. And once you bring a weapon inside your home, you do not, you change part of how you think you believe that, you know, even if you have the best police officers in the entire world in your neighborhood, you don't believe that they can reach you in time. You don't believe that your safety, your safety of your children, the safety of your, of your spouse or your, or your, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend, whoever you're living with your parents, um, is, is okay. in just the arms of the government, I think that's a tremendous indicator of where we are. That's not indicated in the polls. It's not showing in the polls. What's amazing um, about is, it is a lot of these gun sales have actually taken place, uh, in, in deep blue states and cities. Well, yeah, that's where the riots are. I mean, I live exactly. in New York city and crime is crime is out of control. Crime is crime is the way that it hasn't been in decades. It's the worst it's ever been, but it is the worst it's been in a very, very, very long time. And it is, you know, the assault against police officers is out of control. I mean, they, you would think that they were the ones sitting there and, you know, robbing people's houses. The way that people have sat there and spoken about the police officers. And there's just de- mass demoralization. There's a lot of retirements in the New York city police department. And, you know, New York city, when I was growing up in New York city, there was 2000, 3000 murders a year. And now there's less than Then there was less than 300 a year in the biggest city in America. Now it's, um, it's great. Yeah, exactly. And now it's all reversing. It's all changing because of Bill de Blasio and the radical left and Andrew Cuomo. Those, I mean, those really, 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 really are changing it. Um, and I think that you know, the media obviously has been attacking Trump very, very badly. And, uh, you know, there's things that you can criticize him on, legitimately criticize Trump on. I think the problem that we're having right now and why the polls are so lopsided is we're not having the person we're not having a conversation about is Joe Biden. He's just not relevant in this election whatsoever. It's a, it's a conversation of do you like Donald Trump or do you not like Donald Trump? Right. I just and can't imagine how the, the, the candidate for the Democrats can sit in his basement and stay stay numb on the unrest we see in his streets and expect that that is going to play well for him. I think they're starting to wake up to it. You know, about the, uh, the most stark contrast with these Democrat uh, mayors and governors is how they demand that people close their businesses, not go to church not go to their job, but turn a blind eye entirely to these these huge crowds gathering in their streets every night. They're not even imposing any curfews to try to get a handle on it. Oh, there was a concert in Long Island yesterday, and the governor is now doing an investigation into the band that played. But when there was a Black Lives Matter protest, when there was a, you know, 50,000 people in the streets, he didn't have anything to sit there and say. He didn't sit there and say you need to you need to disperse. He wouldn't dare, how, you know, because that's his political religion. Maybe he if we carry protest and, signs to church and to our jobs and and to the beach, and then uh, I may, have a maybe friend who has a wedding. I have a friend who has a wedding, and she had to she had to classify her wedding as a protest in case it gets broken up. 
I mean, that's her wedding. This is. I mean, <laughs> it is. She, people have lost their mind. I mean, we're bringing protests on in case the, the, she's afraid the government <laughs> is going to come and fuck up the uh, wedding. She's protesting. So, I mean, she's protesting against the patriarchy by getting married. No, it, she, she's protesting funny, in favor funny, of of matrimony. I, it's funny, but it's not funny. I mean, but she's like her and her husband. I'm the best man. It's, it's, it's coming up soon. And she was just like, you know, we've spent thousands and thousands of dollars. We waited for two years to get married. You know, we've saved money. We're all ready. And the government's telling them they can't, they might not be able to. And we're, literally, it's a day to day thing of is the governor going to sit there and say, no, you can't get married? This is insane. This is, this is, there's so much anger for your day. Oh, think of all the people, by the way, who died who can't go to a funeral. I mean, with 30 people, they can't sit there and hold a wake or a shiva for 30, 40 people who want to sit there and, and see a loved one who passed away for the last time, but we can have a rally for Black Lives Matter. It's unbelievable. It's, I, think, the, the, I think a lot of this the is The injustice being, that drives me crazy. The, the total injustice, the travesty of justice, but I think a lot of this is being driven by these big corporations. They like to fashion themselves as American corporations, but that... That hasn't been the case for over a decade now, probably going on 20 years. These have, these American companies have converted themselves into multinational corporations where they chase, uh, you know, the cheapest labor on the globe. And, uh, and you know, our economic elites have just allowed them free and unaccessed, uh, unfettered access to the, to the markets to sell their goods. How do you think we turn this around? Because these big corporate uh, glo- globalist corporations own the media. That's, that's a large part of why you see such uneven coverage. Well, I think part of the conversation has to be on the right. We need to sit there and stop realizing everything. America is not a marketplace. America is not a shopping mall. America is our home. It is our family. It is our people. It is, it is the only thing that we have. Yes, we're a free market capitalist country, but we should never put the interests of any industry ahead of the interests of our people. There is no reason why Silicon Valley should have more what you can sit there and say than the than your government does. The Silicon Valley should have one corp one and one not one not one corporation but one industry should not be able to silence entire categories of Americans and destroy their entire uh, ability to make money or to problem themselves. Banks should not have that power. No industry should. We should never make capitalism a religion and say as long as it's good for the market it's good for america that is not true things that are good for americans are good for americans there's a lot of things that corporations can do that better themselves but hurt our country i mean they could sit there and sell pornography to children and they make a lot of money it's not good for our country to do that uh, that's so another that thing we, the total abdication of uh, adults to the uh, innocence of childhood by allowing this all this smut to to uh, be yeah. readily accessible uh, to to little children has has really warped the minds of this generation. Oh, as well. I mean, but they won't even talk about how pornography is bad for people. But but other things, we should never abdicate. We should never treat the marketplace like it is a religion. Like it is absolute and always correct. There are times where absolutely it's, it's in the best interest, and there are times when we sit there and we put Americans at risk of competing with the cheapest labor on earth. That is wrong, and that's what I discussed in my book, They're Not Listening, How the Elites Create a National Populist Revolution. Ryan James Gerdusky, co-author along with Harlan Hill of the new book, They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created the National Populist Revolution. Get yours today on Amazon. Ryan, that's a great conversation. Thanks for joining us. I hope you'll come back. Thank you so much. 
Well, that takes us to the end of this edition of Right Now with Jim Dawes. I want to thank you for joining us. I hope you'll come back here again right here on the Mojo 5.0 Radio Network. We'll talk to you then. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more.